1: Hey, it's Mistress Carrie reporting for duty from MCHQ for episode 43 of the Mistress Carrie podcast. This episode of the podcast is sponsored by Digital Federal Credit Union, but they're better known by everyone, especially all of us here as DCU. And not only is DCU a great place to do your banking at, but they are also a great place to work and they are hiring right now for full and part time positions. And I know, the timing might be a little weird to try and visualize yourself in a new job. But at DCU, they're here to help you make that change, along with offering a benefits package that includes three weeks vacation, a competitive salary, a generous bonus program, 401k plan with 100% company match up to 7%, plus tuition reimbursement, a student loan payment assistance program, and so much more. So to learn about DCU and the career opportunities available, visit dcu.org slash careers. DCU is proud to be an equal employment opportunity and affirmative action employer. This episode of the podcast is also sponsored by mistresscarry.com, which is where you can find every single episode of the Mistress Carry podcast. The new ones come out every Wednesday. Plus, every weekday, you get the sit rep, which is all of your rock headlines and music news, in under five minutes. And on Tuesday nights, I host Cocktails in the War Room live on my Facebook page. And every episode, all 126 of them, are on the website as well. Plus, the events calendar that's starting to get filled with concert dates and live streaming shows, my blog, my photo galleries and the official online Mistress Carrie store. Just log on to MistressCarrie.com for everything. Okay, this episode of the podcast, I couldn't believe it when they said, yep, he's coming on the show. Rick Nielsen from Cheap Trick is a legend. And the band is getting ready to release their 20th album, In Another World, on April 9th. They've been inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, have played thousands of shows. We actually talk about it, trying to nail down exactly how many shows that is. And they've inspired generations of rock bands. And I think you'll hear in this episode, getting inside Rick Nielsen's brain, well, you better strap yourself in because it is rapid fire. We talk about everything. The writing process with Cheap Trick, How they've stayed a band for so long. Working with George Martin. And that's just one of the giant names he dropped. Like Dave Grohl, Paul McCartney, Jeff Beck, John Lennon, Billy Gibbons, Frank Zappa, Keith Richards, and more. And the corresponding playlist for this episode is awesome. I'm telling you, you're going to need an extra coffee for this. Allow me to introduce you to Rick Nielsen from Cheap Trek.
2: And you're listening to Mistress Carrie. Hi, everybody. This is Dave Grohl from Food Fighters, and you're listening to the one, the only Mistress Carrie. Hey, this is David from the band Disturb, and you're listening to the baddest bitch in Boston, Mistress Carrie. Hi, Bruce Dickinson here from Iron Maiden. Yes, indeed. Miss Whiplash herself, Mrs. Carrie, is here to um unchain your brain. Hi, this is Flea from the Red Hot Chili Peppers. You're listening to Mistress Carrie. This is Dennis Leary. You are listening to my favorite Mistress Carrie. Hey,
1: this is Corey from Stone Sour. And you're listening to you have the privilege of listening to Mr.
2: Scary. Oh God. Oh yeah.
1: I can't believe I get to say Rick Nielsen's on my show.
0: Whoa! you you, you, you can use that anytime you want.
1: I am so excited. Thank you so much for coming on. I think I had you on my radio show years ago at WAF in Boston but this is your first appearance on the Mistress Carrie podcast now. Oh, I know,
0: it's pretty, pretty cool.
1: Thanks for uh, coming on. Of course, you're very busy right now because you're promoting your 20th studio album, which is insane.
0: They're ridiculous.
1: It's been an album that has been a couple years in the making. This record was done and then got delayed and then got delayed and then got coronavirus. And now it's finally coming out on April 9th.
0: Yeah, so, uh, no big deal.
1: It's just a global pandemic. You guys have been through worse.
0: Yeah, the pandemic is worse.
1: Um, Can you talk to me a little bit about the process of writing and recording your 20th album as opposed to your first?
0: Well, uh, I used to write everything. Uh, And it was just, everybody's kind of a a, a pretty good good writer. So it's like, you don't just need me. I don't have any time. (laughs) Yeah, and I have to I have to make time to to write and stuff.
1: Is it more of a collaborative effort now than it was back then?
0: Oh yeah, totally. Yeah.
1: And why is that? Why is it? Is it not just your time, but it has it taken all those years for you to finally find the groove for writing as a band?
0: Well, no, you know, it's like I think we write. I write when I have a project. I, you know, it's like I get you know I hear Sting writes every day and. He makes love for 12 hours a day, you know, whatever. It's like, you know, I write when I feel inspired. And uh, the pandemic was not exactly inspiring.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's it's been a feast or famine, I think, with a lot of musicians. For a lot of people, they've been locked in the house, so that's all they've had to do. So if you haven't been writing, what have you been doing?
0: Uh, well, um, you know, I have I have a bunch of grandkids. I'm, now i've seen them and uh you know rather than just at Christmas and uh again, getting to know my you know family which is like yeah, you know the good and the bad
1: <laughs> well you rock bands live on the road so this has got to be yeah. such a strange downshift for you to be home all this time
0: yeah but the, it's, it's fine it's like it's it's a different experience yeah i mean you, you, you couldn't plan for that And it's like, uh, you're married to a Marine,
1: right? I am.
0: Yeah, I I did three USO tours. I'm not not married to a Marine. But uh, that was some of the most interesting shows we ever did.
1: I was going to ask you about that because it's been my experience with all the work I do with the military over the years. Every time I talk to a rock band that's done those USO tours, gone overseas, performed for the troops, they say they're some of the best shows they've done in their career. That there's no yeah. better audience than a bunch of troops,
0: captive audience too. Yeah, right. <laughs> I can't leave.
1: Where I'm did you guys to... go and, and tour with the USO?
0: Uh, Diego Garcia, you know where that is. Yeah, the, the footprint of the whatever out in the Indian Ocean. Uh, we are in Alangapo, uh, Subic Bay, uh, Greece, Italy. Hawaii, uh, Okinawa, you know, it's like, and we, we landed on uh, the Eisenhower and got catted off. You know, there's a lot of guys that were on the ship. They said, they've never done that. Uh,
1: Did you like that or no?
0: I liked it. It was all a thrill.
1: When Kid Rock inducted you guys into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, he said you guys had played 5,000 shows. Recently, your Twitter said you had played 3,700. Do you know exactly how many shows you've played? I don't know
0: who said that, because we've been saying 5,000 for 10 years. (laughs) So it's got to be more than that. I didn't shave today either.
1: Oh, I don't care if you shave or not. You're Rick Nielsen from Cheap Trick.
0: Yeah, that's right.
1: Come on, man. You don't got to wear pants if you don't want to. There's
0: there's nobody here. (laughs) (laughs) I can even swear in the house.
1: Fuck yeah, you can swear. Ah!
0: Yeah. Yeah. My wife says the F word. Oh,
1: yeah. Not that other F
0: word.
1: Um, This is the time of year, speaking of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, when the arguments start, the debates start about, is there enough hard rock and heavy metal representation? Do we really need a Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? What was your experience like back in 2016?
0: Well, uh, we were eligible for a long time, but there was no Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. When we started, so you know, the
1: they got a lot of play, catching up to do.
0: Yeah, the fact that we played more shows like Rolling Stones and the Beatles, and well, we're not quite as popular, but uh, <laughs> but uh, so I, th- I thought,
1: you know, there was a baseball Hall of Fame, there was
0: a golf Hall of Fame, but it was like rock and roll I think playing five thousand shows. That's the rock and roll Hall of Fame. That, that, that we stuck that we stuck with it, you know.
1: Absolutely. And now, a lot of the bands that you guys have inspired over the years, like the Foo Fighters, for example, they are now eligible for induction into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. How does that make you feel?
0: Well, Dave called me and threatened me. No, I you know, so I think it's I think it's a, it's a great thing for anybody. I mean, you see, it gives you gives you a credibility to people that don't know what you do. You know, I go to the grocery store now instead of. Who's that old weirdo? You know, again, it's like, oh, there's an old weirdo. It's a Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. You don't know what it is. But it's like, like it means something to others.
1: One of the things that comes up a lot in the podcast is um, inspiration and bands drawing from other bands to be inspired. Oh, you got a guitar with you. Nice.
0: Well, I got a bunch of guitars.
1: Well, I know you have a bunch of guitars. We were going to talk about that. I just didn't know you had one on your lap.
0: Well, I'm talking to you. I got to have (laughs) one. Look at this. I've got this black sheet because uh, my house is too bright. I'm not too bright, so I'm...
1: you're plenty bright. You're good. When you talk about inspiration and, and rock and roll bands, blues, inspiring each other, one of the things that always comes up on the podcast is speaking of Dave Grohl, Sonic Highways that you were a part of. Uh-huh. And I love that album because it's a science experiment to see how one foreign member can change the sound of a band, how the change of scenery can change the sound of a band. Oh, yeah. Can you talk to me about your experience making that record with them?
0: Well, um, uh, Dave and and Kurt Cobain uh, were big fans of Cheap Trick. Kurt used to say, Oh, we're like Cheap Trick, except we're loud. I said, wait a minute. <laughs> we're pretty damn loud. And so, uh, uh, Dave would come to our shows, always the cheap, cheap Trick show, or Cheap, cheap Trick shirt on, him. usually drunk. Uh, but that was all right, you know, because he came to our show, and you know, he, he was all excited. And he knew this song, and he. we were afraid to let him get up on the drums, because he going be to destroy them. And uh, then I, I met Chris, and he's not he's an oddball, but he's a, he's a cool oddball. And it's like, uh, the guys, they asked me, it's like, uh, Dave called me about um, where's a good place in Chicago to record. And I said, uh, well, my son helped build uh, electrical audio with Steve Albini. And I said, Steve's a great guy. He's one of the smartest guys in the business. Really, he's he's so interesting, and and he picked up the phone. And I called to him, and so uh, I left my Mellotron there, and I said, "There's the place to go." And so then um, a couple months later, hey Rick, we took your advice. Hey, can you come in to Chicago? It was like the worst snowstorm ever, and so I said, "Yeah, of course I, go. of course I will." And so uh, I I drove in there. Took some guitars with me or whatever. And I get in there and say, Hey, we're going to do a video tomorrow. Can you stay over? No, we. please, please tell me I live 90 miles away from you know, and, and so the snow. I couldn't even go home anyhow. And so then they.
1: So Come I'm on, Dave. Put me up in a hotel, will you?
0: Yeah. Well, I, I see I recorded at uh, uh, Sound City in uh, in uh, Hollywood, LA, Toluca Lake, or whatever it was. And it's like, I go into his uh, studio, and there's a, a cabinet, a cheap trick a little one. You know, you sucker, <laughs> you stole it from me. You know, see, all kinds of gear in there. It's like, and I, once again, I didn't have pockets that were big enough. I don't know why I would take it back. But they asked me to play on on the song, and uh, because I, I'm not hired ever as a session guy, you know, I've played tons of sessions, but I'm, I'm hired to. To do what I do. And, you know, I don't think I disappointed them. So then I've, we're now we're in Chicago, electrical audio, and they wanted me to play the, the riff part in a hand to can or whatever. And and it's like I'm playing a, a, a cello tuned real low, and they're all watching me. and I just like, I actually had, oh, here. Here's the hat I had.
1: Oh, your fuzzy hat. There you go. Yeah.
0: So I'm sitting there doing it. And, and as soon as I stop, uh, 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 Pat says, "I just got a metal chill. <laughs> That's a good thing for them."
1: Yeah, no, it's an absolutely killer. a good thing.
0: So it's like, uh, how do I get involved in it? Uh, I gave him advice, and then uh, if you're gonna call me, call me and let me know something overnight. You know? you know, it's like no notice. You know, they know they're gonna be there, but it's like. Hey, Rick, oh, thanks for your advice. Oh, by the way, can you uh, drive in here, pick us up?
1: You bring up the Sound City documentary, and recently Rupert Neve passed away.
0: Yeah, I met him.
1: The comments and 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 the way that the artists mourned the loss of someone. Can you talk about his influence on recording music for people that may not know who Rupert Neve was?
0: Well, he's a guy, he's a smart, smart electronic whiz and uh, he, the the neve boards were used were the best boards in the world and you know they were you know all the greatest studios we used a, a neve uh, in montserrat at uh, air studios when we recorded with uh, george martin and then if you ever see the police jumping up and down on, on, on top of a mixing board that's there so but see, I knew George Martin too. It's like, and 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 uh, and Jeff Emmerich. Jeff Emmerich uh, engineered every show we did when we did uh, *Sergeant Pepper*, and we did it probably a hundred shows. It's tough to get guys good. And uh, okay, okay. Besides, see, I I met him when we recorded at *Sound City*, and it was kind of. Like, I remember, <laughs> I remember being in there one time. I pissed off. Uh, uh, the guitar player wasn't. Uh, I'll think of it in a minute. I pissed him off so much he kicked the board and broke his toe. <laughs> uh, I'll think of it before the end. But uh, you know, working with George, you know, worked at all the, all these great students. You know, he'd done all this great stuff. Uh, and then in, in what was it? Um, I was asked to, uh, okay, we well, were going to do is certain pepper. And I went to his house. He co- he and his wife, Judy, we know. And that's where my kids, I taught my kids how to swim in, in, in Montserrat in the West, rich West, West Indies.
1: Wait, you taught your kids how to swim in George Martin's pool?
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, where else we're we going to do it?
1: <laughs> I, the why? I don't know.
0: <laughs> no, there, there was no why. This is before the, before the uh, volcano, which destroyed everything. There.
1: I know that uh, on this new record, there's actually a John Lennon cover as yeah. well. And I have been a lifelong Beatles fan. I look at it as a gift my mother gave me when I was growing up, that she exposed me to all of this music. And when you're sitting there, as Rick Nielsen from Cheap Trick, and you're working with someone like George Martin for the first time, how intimidating is that for you? Early on, before you got to know him and swim in his pool.
0: Well, um, he liked our band. You know, how did George Martin know it? He came in the middle of winter. uh, George Martin and Jeff Emmerich came to Madison, Wisconsin, where we did um, pre-production it it, uh, it was it was before um, garbage studios was there, and it's like he came <laughs> here's George Martin you know, walking through a snowdrift, <laughs> <laughs> so it was it's quite amazing, uh, and that was uh, what was that? Well, because I worked with John Lennon um, uh, August twelfth,
1: nineteen eighty. Wow!
0: So that was the day Dax was born, the son.
1: You, he was born the day you worked the with day, John yeah. Lennon?
0: Yeah. My wife gave me a, a hall pass to not uh, be at the hospital.
1: Because you were going to work with John Lennon? Yeah. Uh, Hashtag marriage evil. goals.
0: Yeah, how about this? If it was McCartney, I would have been at the hospital.
1: Because
0: <laughs> he still owes me money.
1: Paul McCartney owes you money?
0: Yeah, the left-handed Les Paul he plays, that was mine.
1: No way, really? Way. Well, there are people, it, it, since since the passing of Eddie Van Halen, there's been a lot of conversations about the instrument of the guitar. Oh, yeah. And I believe there are people that look at the guitar for what it is, and then I believe there are people that look at the guitar for what it could be. And I believe you are one of those people that looks at it like what it could be.
0: Yeah, if I can only play. <laughs> here's, here's my five-holding railing.
1: All right, so you're showing me a picture. I'm
0: showing you a picture because I, I had done another interview earlier. If you go by any uh, a guitar center, this picture of me with that guitar is in there. It's a 1963 Guild Merle Travis. It's, they only made three of them. They were $2,000, 1963. I looked for one for, I'd only seen a black and white uh, picture of it for 40 years almost till I found one. Through, I actually found it with with and uh, George Groon. He didn't tell me he had it, and I'd been uh, a customer and a friend with George since the '60s. So, long story, but it's like, uh, it was smashed, and the headstock had been thrown in a fireplace. It was ruined, but I knew I knew what it was. That's the second one of three.
1: Do you know where the other two are?
0: Yeah, uh, Merle Travis has one. And a guy on Long Island has the other one. He's a billionaire guy.
1: How many guitars do you think you've owned over the years?
0: Around 2,000 instruments.
1: And how many of them do you still have?
0: Uh, Well, I have about 800 instruments. I have 500 guitars, something like that. I just bought another one yesterday. What'd you buy? I bought the same as this one, a 1962 Dwight Coronet, which is like an Epiphone corn apple see the d on there yep uh I got it I've been trying for three years to get it, it i get, bought it from uh, Paul Weller from the jam
1: no way no way <laughs> <laughs> it shocks me that you would have to hunt for guitars for three years to find
0: oh when well, I knew where it was I couldn't get as you know he had to come up with a price I paid more than I paid for any of the other ones but I was just like did I need it no But did he want to get rid of it? I guess. So my friend is picking it up. A friend of mine who's from where I am in Illinois. He lives in London. Who's a friend of Paul Willis. He's going over to pick it up.
1: When you have these five neck guitars or... Well,
0: that's ridiculous.
1: (laughs) Or the guitars that look like you... That's good. (laughs) (laughs) How do you come up with... The idea and how much of the construction are you involved in?
0: Well, uh, one it has—they all have to work. All the necks have to work. Um, it has to be ridiculous, which it is. And it's like, why would you want that? You know, actually, I wanted a, a six-neck guitar, and I wanted it to spin like a roulette wheel. And then, then right, right around that time, here uh, is Billy Gibbons had those guitars that spun. I said, well, they're gonna, you know, I don't have a beard, but they're gonna think I stole the idea from him, you know. We, but it was just like it, people would walk out on stage, like some of these musicians. They come out with their one or two guitars, and they'd go all over. Say, like I said, I, I'm a songwriter. I, I, I don't play that good, <laughs> so it's like. But having a, a, a piece of art, when you talked about that earlier, uh, the five neck was at the Boston Museum of Fine Arts. It was also at the uh, uh, the New York uh, MoMA or whatever it's called. The, you know, like, I'm sure you had Eddie Van Halen's guitar, you know, the, with the tape on it. And here's mine, the five neck. It's like, it's so ridiculous that it's interesting. And I've got three of them.
1: When you come up with an idea like that, does your guitar tech just look at you and shake his head because he has to deal with none that at the live liked, shows?
0: None of ever liked me.
1: <laughs> none of the guitar techs?
0: No, hell no. Here, look looking
1: Oh, you're taking me around.
0: Look what I got on the wall here.
1: Is that a five neck giant violin?
0: Five neck violin.
1: Can it be played? I don't know. I mean, it's on your wall. Do you play the violin?
0: No. Well, I used to. We used to do it a song called uh, I Was Cool. And I uh, used to do it because my dad had a music store. And he had these violins that had little. Pickups in them you know they were no not very good so i i do was um, oscar brown that's who it was and i do the song and i go out and play the violin and i smash it It was here you know, just like we've never had big lights or never had you know stuff that blows up or fire so we you know we had to <laughs> we had to rely on our bad taste
1: well you didn't need that stuff i mean cheap trick is known
0: yeah, but it was kind of fun. It breaks up the set.
1: Yeah, and you're known as being this amazing powerhouse live band, uh, so much so that you have well, one of you
0: for the first three thousand shows.
1: Hey, listen, I was because... there. I was there. I was a little too young in the beginning, but then I was there.
0: We were all a little too young in the beginning. <laughs>
1: You, your band. It, it happens very infrequently, but your band is one of those bands that's more famous for a live sound than you are yeah. from the studio records. That's really hard to pull off a yeah. live experience on a record.
0: Well, you know, we kind of learned what we do. You know, we're guitar, bass, drums, and a vocalist. And it's like people used to say to us, "How do you get that sound?" You know, it's like it's just kind of how we play. Yeah, it's like I'm self-taught, so like some people play an egg chord here. I go, I go here, and I tell people I, I, I never try to do chords where I have to look at the neck. So I'd rather look at the audience and you.
1: Oh, thank you. I am always amazed when I talk to guitar players. About how so many of them are self-taught and play by feel. Like I talked to Nuno Betancourt a couple months ago. He told oh, me yeah, he can't—he can't read or write music—and I was floored by that. And I've known him for decades.
0: Yeah, he's—he's uh, he's got good hair, good—he t- <laughs> <laughs> got it all in a cool name. I'm Rick Nielsen. That's nothing. <laughs>
1: But is, is, is that how you learned and how no. you still play? I mean, you're a songwriter, but are you no, writing the music? Yeah,
0: well, I started out as a drummer. And you know, I used to have to get off the drums you know, because my parents being opera singers and all that, I always knew a wrong note from a right note. But I didn't know, I didn't have, I didn't do any technique because I was a drummer. I played drums until I was probably 14. And then... The guys that were in the band, you know, here's sass fashion, and they or they, you know, they play it wrong. It's like here, I had to get off the drums and figure out and show them. And before you knew it, I was, and I was doing it. And it's like you know, the bands that I loved, uh, you know, I, I saw all the stuff. I said I played with the Who in 1968.
1: I'm sorry. I'm just sitting here watching you play guitar. Oh. <laughs> Tell me about playing with the Who in '68.
0: In '68, we were called um, the Grim Reapers. I think we were. We played a place called the Majestic Hills, and we'd been kind of like a house band. We opened up for um, Mothers of Invention, Frank Zappa. I did an interview with a, a Dweezil, and and I told him about the story. I said here's the mother's invention they pull up in two brown rambler station
1: wagons
0: (laughs) and it's like really i never heard that plus we had just signed to um to epic records and uh frank zappa asked he said he wanted to sign us to bizarre records because you know because we were goofy enough we weren't probably weren't good enough but we were goofy enough
1: You talk about the Zappas. There's another example of a family where the musical ability runs in the family as it does in yours.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's like I never taught my kids anything. Like, like I, if my kids would cry and f- couldn't figure it out, then I would help them. I said, what good does it do to show everybody what to do? You know, if they're struggling here, I, I have given a couple of guitar lessons. Here's what I teach. They'll go down, they'll go up to, that's, that's every song. <laughs> but if you can learn that and keep your rhythm, you're, you're set.
1: Can you talk to me about, because I want to go back to talking about John Lennon and, and the, the John Lennon cover on the record. I'm a huge fan of cover songs uh-huh. because I love it when a band kind of takes someone else's music and has to figure out how to make it their own. As someone that worked with John Lennon, what do you think about when you go into covering one of his songs?
0: Better do it good.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, it's like some some bands—they go out and say, "Oh, we're going to do a Queen song." Well, let's see—you better be freaking really good because you know, you know.
1: They're kind of amazing.
0: Yeah, yeah, and uh, I, we were never afraid to play with anybody. Because, you know, it's like we weren't—we never tried to be anybody. And it's like the people we emulated uh, Trust me, we didn't do, like I said, I would have been at the hospital with McCartney. But John Lennon, the opportunity to, uh, I gotta get your, can I send me your email? Sure. I can't write it down, but. Send it to Carlo, whoever you're talking.
1: Yeah, I'll send. I'll and get it sent. Because
0: I got a couple of things that are kind of funny, um, like working with John Lennon, and it's like, uh, and uh, Yoko. Have You ever heard Yoko say anything nice about anybody? Yes. <laughs> Cheap trick. <laughs> well, it just. I love. Mean, I, I couldn't buy. You couldn't buy these things that we've been lucky enough to do.
1: Well, I just think it's hilarious that you're so lighthearted about your career and your band and you don't take yourself seriously. Meanwhile, the anvil sized names that you've worked with that you're dropping right now. Yeah. I mean, your career has been unbelievable.
0: Oh, well, I, I agree. I mean, when George Martin was doing the making of Sergeant Pepper, he was he's deafer than I am. And so I'd have to go to these shows and interpret the questions from the audience. Whisper it to his ear. He liked me for some reason.
1: Not a bad friend to have in the music business.
0: No, no, no. I got asked to to go to his uh, memorial service, too. So my wife and I, we flew to London. I took my friend who... And and all of a sudden, we're like in the third row. Here's here's Pink Floyd and Genesis and Elvis Costello all behind me. It's like... I'm 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 Rick from Rockford, <laughs> and it's like, and so at the end, Yoko and Sean and, and Julian are standing there. So I was just talking. To I mean, it's like it's uh you know Julian, you know he knew us. And I think he knew my son too, or, and he knew, you know we kind of knew a bunch of the same people, but it was, oh, we're not big hot friends or whatever, and I and I worked a, a second time with Yoko, but all of a sudden. Coming down the, the aisle. Hello, Rick. Hello, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> and so and it's like he knew me. So it's I had to I had to ask somebody, who is that? But he, boy, here's, a, here's, a, here's, a, here's another funny story. When we were recording at Air Studios, we had Brian May came in to see us, and and Paul McCartney was coming to see George. And it was raining that day because they were going out for dinner or whatever. So Paul didn't want to get wet. So George went down. We never saw him there. But uh, Leif Erickson did. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you, how can you make up something?
1: You can't.
0: Yeah. So it's always cool.
1: You um I'm just i I'm dying laughing over here with these stories. Um
0: they're true. I can't remember any, anything uh, if I had to make up.
1: Well, that's the thing is that, you know, as I watch your Twitter feed, which I love because it's this time capsule of all of these amazing photos of all of these artists that you've met and worked with over the years. And I just love how you're using social media. to I use them. <laughs> no, but these pictures... They're this amazing rock and roll time capsule of a life that you've led.
0: Yeah. And that's, you know, I was born before uh, they had iPhones.
1: So was I.
0: I have a lot of people that I've met and been with that I had no pictures. Right. So I don't show those.
1: <laughs> Out of all the shows you've played over the years... Even though Cheap Trick was never known for its big stage sets, pyro, that what? kind of stuff, you were just known for getting out there and kicking the hell out of the crowd. Do you remember a, a show where you had a Spinal Tap stuck in the pod moment or a lost backstage in Cleveland moment? I mean, there's five thousand plus shows. There's got to be something.
0: Always oh, every show. No, but like, here's something. Show you. We were at uh, playing. In- I don't have this junk laying around my house for no reason, but I've been doing a, a guitar videos and stuff with a couple of people and doing some. We, here we're playing in uh, Salt Lake City. It's 1979. Well, some of this guy comes back, He says, um, I'm Fats Domino's manager. Fats loves your version of Ain't It Ashamed. And Back in 55, I think they got one for the artist and one for the producer or whatever. You know, there weren't you. So
1: they, oh, <gasps> Fats Domino gave you his gold record.
0: Yeah. Ain't it a shame?
1: Oh my God!
0: So I mean, and uh, I, I have the biggest straw. Thank you.
1: Oh! <laughs> <laughs> oh, what, oh no! I didn't mean it like that. Uh huh.
0: <laughs> I wish.
1: <laughs> but it, I've always wondered when you cover oh, an how artist, that? That, that, I, that, it's amazing. Yeah. And so obviously, you know, finding out from Fats Domino that he loves Cheap Trick's version of his classic song, yeah. that goes into what I'm talking about, about cover songs, and that you want to pay tribute and homage to the original artist, but at the same time, you have to find a way to make it your your yeah, song yeah. and be respectful.
0: Yeah, because it's a cool... You know, Lennon did it, too. Ain't That a Shame. And if you think about it, here's some other guitar trivia in 1968... I'd gone to see uh, the Yardbirds and then in 67, 68, Jeff Beck came over with Rod Stewart and Mick Waller and Ronnie Wood and Nikki Hopkins. I flew to uh, Cleveland to see him. There was about eight people at this place. You know, I was still in high school because I I'd love this kind of stuff. I flew there and the about two weeks later, they're playing in Chicago. And I, I was seeing him at the Connecticut playground after Jeff set his roadie had grabbed his guitar by the body, and dropped it on the floor and broke the head off it. So you know, I'm a guitar guy, and I was like, "Here's my favorite guitar player." So I, it was easier to weasel backstage back then. You know, it's like you know, I don't look dangerous till now. And you know, it's like, so I, so I said, I said Jeff's my favorite guitar, and you don't even know what happened here. I collect guitars and he needs a good guitar. And so I gave him my phone number. Two weeks later, hello, Rick, still got guitars? Yeah, hold on for Jeff. Hey, Jeff, yeah? Yes, Rick, you still got guitars? Yeah, hold on. <laughs> he handed me back to the manager. He said, well, can you can you come and see us and bring some of your stuff? I said, sure, where are you? Philadelphia, of course. You know, so, so I got a friend of mine who took five guitars and flew to Philadelphia. I still have the tickets. And I sold them the second last Paul Jeff ever had. I sold them. Yeah.
1: <laughs> it, you're I, like... I you can't make up shit like that. You can't. You're like oh, an yeah. encyclopedia of rock and roll and...
0: I know what I know.
1: <laughs> well, you know a lot for a guy from Rockford. Hey, hey! <laughs> That's what you said earlier.
2: Uh, I didn't mean that.
1: There's that hurts. when someone says Rockford, Illinois, I think of I think of two things. I think of cheap trick, and I think of the peaches. Oh yeah. Were you ever able to go and see them play, or was that before well, your time?
0: I used to see uh, games were played there. It was all Bitter Stadium. It was just you know, it's like I don't know. 10 rows up or something like that. It was, it was not even a stadium. It's like a side with us. We'd heard of them, but, you know, it's like even I wasn't born before the Second World War. So,
1: Well, no, but I know they were a team through the mid-50s, so I didn't yeah. know if you ever had yeah. the opportunity as well, a little kid to go.
0: I lived uh, in Elmhurst, Illinois until 1956.
1: One of the things that keeps coming up on the podcast...
0: See, I didn't have I, I a great story after that.
1: No. <laughs> You know, I had to ask, though, because you could have
2: Yeah.
1: Um, one of the things that keeps coming up on the podcast because everyone's been locked in the house is fantasizing about the trips we're all going to take when we can actually travel again. If I were going to come to Rockford, Illinois on vacation, (laughs) where should I go? What should I do?
0: Well, in about two years, uh, I've been working on this for about 12 years. Uh, we two years ago got the the clearest uh, Hard Rock Casino is moving here, and out front there'll be a seventy foot checkerboard explorer.
1: No, they're gonna away. put your guitar up there. Yeah, yeah. Hell yeah!
0: Not not one of those ugly Les Pauls.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> you know, it's like what, a, what an unbelievable tribute.
1: Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. Now, what about if we were going to go out for lunch somewhere out there? What's w- like if you were going to come to Boston? Uh, I would take you out for clam chowder and lobster or something like that because that's what everybody yeah, wants to do. Where would what would we have for lunch if you took me out for lunch there?
0: Well, I got a place here. Uh, been there about twenty years. I bought it from a lady whose only daughter was dying of cancer. It's like you yeah, know. It's called a Stockholm Inn. Swedish pancakes. Yum. Uh, 12,000 customers a week.
1: Come in for Swedish pancakes?
0: Oh, yeah. It's unbelievable.
1: You're a busy guy with a lot of stuff outside of Cheap Trick. You have a vodka now, too, which is just brilliant.
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I don't even drink anymore. What a waste. And <laughs> a restaurant in Chicago, uh, I quit drinking right because I have invested in it. And they've been there 20 years. Peace, P I
1: E C E. Well, I'm a I'm a vodka girl and well, I girl as well, take care of you. And rockin' vodka sounds like something. I have a video show that I call Cocktails in the War Room. And I have a room in my house that's dedicated to all of the military lineage in my family and all the things I've done with our troops and veterans over the years. And every week I host a show from my Get war me room. Your address oh, I'm oh, gonna I yeah. am going i am going Cause I drink Moscow Mules in there all the time, and I want to wow. use your vodka.
0: Yeah, it's it's great stuff. I mean, uh, we've just struck a. You know, I don't want to talk about business. No, come on, go. Ahead. A lot of the
1: bands are, are. I love talking about the other things you're doing besides being in Cheap Trick. Like that wouldn't be enough to keep you occupied.
0: Yeah, well, I helped start uh, Reverb. You know, with that yeah. Of company. yeah. Yeah, I'm one, I'm one of the first guys.
1: It's, you seem like someone that has a very hard time sitting still, that you always have... Uh, yeah, yeah, come on, guys, let's go! <laughs> that, has to, do. that has to stay busy all the time, but you seem like someone also that has a lot of varied interests, that you're not just myopically yeah, focused on playing the guitar.
0: Yeah, you know, there's, there's all kinds of stuff here that I just re- rehearsed in here. There's a, a bandicello, and one of a kind, and there's a guitar that Billy Gibbons gave to me. I have the one of the guitars that the John Lennon had the he has the free he painted different ways. You ever seen that?
1: No. Oh my god, you're gonna get one of John Lennon's guitars. I'm literally gonna fall over. Well
0: here. Fall over that
1: way, not He's pulling one of the guitars out of the case right now. You were here, I'd let you do it. Well, listen. I would have much preferred to sit on that couch and do the interview with me, but first of all, there's a pandemic, and second of all, I don't want to get arrested for stalking Rick Nielsen from Cheap Trick.
0: And you won't be the first. <laughs> <laughs> but your voice the ones that he...
1: Well, thank you very much. I appreciate. Oh, and it's got purple fur lining in the case, even. <gasps> oh my god! I when I bought it. So that, yeah, tell me exactly what kind of guitar that is. Give me all it's the a, specs. Is
0: Gibson, uh, Gibson? I think it's a J160, it's out of tune. So,
1: who painted a, it? Did John Lennon paint it?
0: No, the, uh, the Fool, Do you remember the Fool? Yeah, that's who did um uh, Eric Clapton's SG that now Todd Runner knows it,
1: and that's uh. And that's one of John Lennon's three?
2: Oh, I
0: don't know how many. Not everything I have in career, except my. Never mind.
1: Nope. <laughs> Do you mind telling me? Because obviously I will never have the ability to find out myself. Can you tell me a story about John Lennon that exemplifies the kind of person that he was?
0: Well, yeah. And I asked for your email, or your thing. Yeah, I'll, I'll, send, I'll send it to you. And because it not because it, it, it phony with me telling the stories. Uh, Jack Douglas wanted to have a kind of a heavier song. If you listen to Double Fantasy, it's kind of like a, it's not like a lounge act, I mean. You know, it's as good as John Lennon, it's like, oh, there's a little too much tinkle and sizzle on it. So they asked me to come in, and You'll see it on this video thing. When I start playing, and while I'm doing the part that I figured out to do, yeah, you here know, I'm working with John Lennon. You know, and I gotta play some sissy stuff. So I, so I play, and John and Jack and Yoko and Bunny are all in the booth, and uh, it's like God, I wish I would have had him on cold turkey. Clapping, choked up.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> and uh so here i am out there i'm just playing huh? yeah i'm rick from rocker yeah. and so uh everybody tells john lennon yes john yes john yes john, yes, john. like like talking to Stephen tyler yes Stephen. Yeah, sure nobody tells him no i do you know so so i didn't like some of the guitars that john had the one was cool yeah, he had a rickenbacker that he had at the uh, Shea Stadium with the set list still on tape. And then he had another one, which I'm not going to tell you about. But I said, I was going to take him guitar shopping. Because I tell him, no, don't get that one. You're John Lennon. Don't play that thing. You know, because he was playing this, this, the worst thing. And it's like, in my taste. And it's like, he's John Lennon. You know, I called him John. Bunny called him Miss, Mr. Lennon.
1: It is, it is interesting. Like when I talked to Nuno and he talked about Eddie Van Halen, he called him Edward
0: yeah whatever
1: it's it's like it's a it's a a respect thing, but yeah. the fact that you were so honest and upfront with him, being that famous for that long, he probably really appreciated your candor
0: he, he liked me, yeah, you know it's like he he talked about later that kind of day or whatever and it's like, God, I wish I had these guys as my band and it's like we will go. <laughs> we'll do it. You know, I, you know, because actually, Rob and I went back to the studio to add some vocalists in, and yeah, so uh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: We do baby voices. We do it really good.
1: Yeah,
0: You know, it's like you just start doing some of those. We we're going to do that, and that's it. Actually, uh, uh, the Colbert Report, which I wrote—if uh, you ever know it—it's called "Baby, Baby Mumble."
1: Wait, you wrote the song? You wrote the theme to the Colbert Report?
0: Yeah, hmm It was on for nine years. I know. I
1: didn't know that you wrote uh, that.
0: Well, if you listen to it, it's—I want you to want me backwards.
2: Da 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 da.
0: Instead of ah, da 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 It's it's. it's, it's Wow! That's what Stephen said. He said to me, "Rick, you see, it's like the uh, the sign up for the soldiers. I want you." I said, "Okay." So I didn't I didn't mess around. I, I listened to what he said, and you know, it's like get it, get in and out.
1: That's that's amazing. As yeah. the as the songwriter that you are, I've and asked. I like
0: the- doing jingles too. If so you got got something for me,
1: well. Barry Manilow is one of those guys that found out a long time ago how lucrative a, a business that can be.
0: Yeah, well, I'm in Rockford, Illinois, so I, I got plenty to do. But it's like I love you know I love playing with the Foo Fighters and I love playing with you know all these different guys. I have looked it up. Uh, one of the records that I have played on, I never thought about it. Uh, and Steve Steven reminded me because we're, we're both on, we're on Top Gun. That sold nine million records. That's more than, yeah, more than he ever did with Billy Idol and I ever did with Cheap Drake. Wow. And so, you know, nobody, nobody from the record company ever gave me one. So I'm hunting it down to get by myself. <laughs> yeah, really.
1: The Top Gun, what, the gold record?
0: Nine Platinum.
1: Wow. Hello. Hello. As a songwriter, out of I'm all... A yeah, you are a whore, but that's a good thing. Dave Grohl uh, is a whore too when it comes to music, and it's yeah, a good thing.
0: Make love make love to the to the present. Adam <laughs> whatever you're for sale.
1: Out of all of the songs that you listen to as a fan with songwriter's ears, I've asked this question a few times and I've loved every answer. What's the one song <laughs> what's the one song that you wish you wrote? That's someone else's.
0: Uh go all the way by the raspberries. Really? I love that song. They had the ad- attitude of the small faces for an American band.
1: What is it about the structure of the song that you love though?
0: Oh it's it's just got all the right not, all the right parts and not too many bridges, not too many. It's got everything in it. And we played with those guys in New Jersey or it was Delaware or someplace, you know, when we were living in Philadelphia, it was like 1970 or something like that. We go in there and say, well, you know, you guys are going to play in their set, right? Uh, no, no. It says here in the contract. the owner pulls out a gun and says, yeah, what do you want us to play with, huh? <laughs> was that that the man? Was, like
1: a... was that the only one out of the 5,000 cheap trick shows where somebody pulled a gun? Oh, no, there are a few more. Were there really? Yeah, but
0: this, was like, this is like the, the mafia mob kind of guy. It's like, oh, come on. But, of course, we did it.
1: <laughs> well, yeah. Well, hopefully you won't have any more guns pulled on you when Cheap Trick can finally get out on the road. And we're finally getting this album that's been a few years in the making, In Another World, which is coming out on April 9th. And the latest song to come off of it, Light Up the Fire, comes out burning from the first bar. I mean, you're Uh, not sleeping on that song.
0: If you, the the solo, did I tell you that story? Nope. The solo, uh, well, my favorite guitar player, man, guitar, uh, Jeff Beck. That's uh, happening 10 years' time ago by the Yardbirds. And it was uh, the first song that uh, Jimmy Page played on, but it was Jeff Beck playing the solo. And uh, light up the fire. uh, Go back and listen to it.
1: I I, will now.
0: I do a bad job of it. But but it's like, oh, yeah, that's it. Yeah, I admit it. You know, it's like, usually, I don't tell anybody when I steal stuff.
1: Well, I I would think because I don't. I would think that if you're going to steal from anybody, that anybody you stole yeah, from would pretty
0: cool. Yeah, well,
1: and I would think that they would think you're cool enough to let you steal from them, so it's all good.
0: Oh. Remember the guitar that I told you I bought? Yeah. Well, they only made about forty-seven of them. I, mean, I got a couple of them. That was that's what Steve Marriott. Really? And, and yeah, Dwight Coronet. Not an Epiphone cornet. So they're, they're extra rare.
1: Well, every week when I release these episodes, I put a corresponding playlist together of all of the music from all of the artists that we talked about in the episode. This playlist 12, is going to be like 10,000 songs long because we've talked about so <laughs> many amazing artists.
0: You know, I love.
1: <laughs> Thank you so much for hanging out with me today.
0: Oh, well, overdone? Uh, we don't
1: have to be done. I thought
0: uh, uh, I got to go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: I didn't oh, want to like overstay. One. I didn't want to overstay my welcome. I know you're a busy guy.
0: Uh, I'm a worn out busy guy I'm pulling that guitar out for you. Thanks.
1: Well, I appreciate it though. It's it's beautiful and I can't wait yeah. to get all of the stuff that you're going to email me and to get your vodka.
0: Yeah, yeah. you send me I'm going to send you, you yeah. all my info, absolutely. Uh, 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 I'm a fifty-fifty partner with a guy.
1: Yeah, that's fantastic. I'm definitely going to send it to you, and and maybe someday you'll come on my show, cocktails in the war room, and you can teach me yeah, how to yeah. make a good drink. Even though you don't drink anymore, you can uh, talk uh, me through I, it.
0: I, I was real good at it, though.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: I drank a case and a half of beer every day for four years.
1: No way! Seriously? Way.
0: I didn't drink when I worked, but the women, what's your favorite song, Rick? Good
1: night. Wow. <laughs> yeah.
0: I was never a mean drunk, but I did get a little sauce. I never had a hangover, so it didn't bother me.
1: Well, it's impressive, though, that not only had you been able to maintain that career, but to get sober and just to be able to continue, Uh whereas so many other artists have had a problem with that over the years. Well,
0: you know, so I had a problem because uh, I was never, I was always a happy drunk. I had to go to the doctor after I quit. I said, How do I feel, or how do I look, doggies? You're fine, fine. What do you mean, I'm fine? <laughs> I can't be fine. I drink so much. Well, I I had to go back and drink more.
1: Hey, Keith Richards is still kicking, so maybe that all um, that stuff's not that bad for you.
0: Yeah, Keith Richards, Rick Nielsen. My name backwards was Neil Richards. On the road, when we were staying in L.A. at, at the same hotel, and uh, so I talked to him. He says says, That's where all my women went. Right that was the ah! alias you used to use, Neil Richards. You know, we'd never stay in the same hotel. Well, they never stayed in a place where we stayed.
1: That is hilarious. West I always, Marquee. I always wondered if you guys used aliases back then when you oh, stayed yeah. at hotels.
0: I won't tell you because you're too nice a girl. Uh, I,
1: I, hey, uh, don't uh, d- don't insult me like that. Come on, now, you could tell me, the what?
0: Barry McOchaner.
1: That was the name you used?
0: Well, (laughs) a sporting guy that I knew. (laughs) My golf bag says Dick Hurts.
1: Oh, I'm sure.
0: Yeah, who's Dick Hurts?
1: Well, there's a town in Massachusetts called Holden, so everybody always says Dick Hurts is from Holden. Never mind. I got you. Uh, Can I ask you a question about golf before I let you go? Because I talked to Alice Cooper recently.
0: Yeah, I know Alice. I got a house out there, too.
1: I, I have never been someone that enjoyed the game of golf. Um, what what does it do for you?
0: Uh, well, my son was on the uh, the PGA Mini Tour for two years, and, and but now he now he's got a six handicap. His wife a job and four kids. But uh, I was asked to play with Alice more than once, and uh, he said, "Regular play, sure." Okay, you're right. You're behind me. You're in the foursome behind me. So I played three holes and quit. But, but, uh, and Alice, and his wife Cheryl, uh, and my wife, you know, we we're the only people you know in rock business that's been married longer than him.
1: Alice and uh, I actually, he gave me marriage advice because I just got married this past August, and I, mean, I was, yeah. and I asked him for marriage advice because he's been married so long. Do you have any for me?
0: Um, no. Hell <laughs> <laughs> <I don't>
1: no. <know. laughs>
0: uh, I've been I've been married fifty one years, but I've only seen her four times.
1: Fifty one uh, years.
0: years. Do, yeah, yeah. We don't don't do the math. All right, sweetie.
1: There he is. I told you to strap on and get an extra coffee. Rick Nielsen from Cheap Trick. The new album, In Another World, is coming out on April 9th, and the corresponding playlist that goes with episode 43 of the Mistress Carrie podcast is full of not only new Cheap Trick, but all the old favorites that you love, and all of the artists and those giant names that he dropped are all featured. It's linked right in the show notes of this podcast, along with all of Rick's social media accounts and websites and everything you need to know about Cheap Trick. If you liked what you heard, click subscribe so you don't miss anything. New episodes every Wednesday. Plus, you get the sit rep every weekday with all of your rock headlines and music news in under five minutes. And if you don't mind, give us a five-star review and leave us a comment so we know what you thought. Huge thanks to Digital Federal Credit Union at DCU.org and MistressCarrie.com for sponsoring this week's episode. Join me every Tuesday night at 8.30 live on my Facebook page for Cocktails in the War Room. And you know there's a bottle of Rick Nielsen's vodka in there. The Mistress Carrie Podcast, a proud member of the Pantheon Podcast Network.
2: It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football.